Welcome to episode seven of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined once again by my co-host, Dalton Willie and producer, Johnny Pham. We have a lot to get to today, but first, guys, we'll start with Dalton. Dalton, how's it going? We're another week closer to, to draft season. We're getting there. First first August podcast. Yeah, well, I'm excited we made it to seven uh, pods so far. I was a little <laughs> concerned. Johnny might back out on us. I know we've talked a little trash on him on and off air. <laughs> Uh, but the good news is, is today was the official opt-out deadline so at least now we know who is and isn't playing as far as covid regulations next i just need joe mixon and dalvin cook to sign contracts yeah i i do think just because today's the opt-out deadline it's possible we haven't seen the last as far as like movement on that front but you at least feel pretty good that we didn't really see any major dominoes fall I, i'd say damian williams is probably by far the biggest fantasy name at least you had some offensive linemen and some defensive guys on other teams but johnny the hair's looking a little rough man did you uh did you get out of bed today uh kind of just like <laughs> working from home has just made my hair just do whatever it wants and i'm at the point where it just doesn't matter well, <laughs> I, over I don't under really have to see anyone over under on three showers a week oh uh, right around there right around, <laughs> oh, right around three, is, it a, is it a push <laughs> no it's uh, uh, probably like three and a half you take three and a half showers how does yeah. that work yeah, uh, you you understand one day when you get to where I am. But Don, I can't wait for me to play you in fantasy. I will pick up Larry Fitzgerald and have him beat you in the last second again. <laughs> All righty, we have a lot to get to today. Um, we're going to start off with some buy or sell, like, like usual, except for last week, of course, with the CEH emergency um podcast. We'll we'll call it. We'll also talk a little bit about a best ball draft that Dalton and I did, where it um we'll just say some funky stuff happened in in that draft. And then, of course, the the actual main event of the show, the main topic. Dalton and I are going to give the five players that we've changed our opinion on, not the most, but just five players that we that we each picked. Um, after we updated our rankings, neither of us know the other person's players so the reactions you hear are going to be live reactions um so if i call dalton an idiot or vice versa we apologize in advance so we'll start with with buy or sell today um dalton this was actually your idea we are going to talk about the elite the best of the best and see if they can top their current um their current lines as far as yardage at each position and we'll start at quarterback um we went with patrick mahomes for obvious reasons maybe a little bit of a bias there as far as this podcast and patrick mahomes is concerned can patrick mahomes go over four thousand six hundred ninety nine and a half passing yards you buying that uh i'm gonna take this one to the bank and i'm gonna put at least a hundred dollars on this line because i'm definitely buying it i did a little quick math i went back to seventh grade algebra Ooh, quick math okay yeah. in 2019 this is including the two and a half games he missed mahomes had 4031 yards in the two and a half games matt moore started that includes the second half in denver he had 659 yards so you add those numbers together stick with me here he has 4,690 yards and the over is 4,699. So in all actuality, all I have to bet on is that Patrick Mahomes is 10 yards better than Matt Moore was in two and a half games last year. I like those odds. You also had a series where I think Demarcus Robinson was the starting wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes was banged up. So I think it's pretty easy for him to hit the over, which is crazy to think that you know 4,700 passing yards is something that Mahomes can easily accomplish. Yeah, here, here's what I'll tell you. Work smarter, not harder when it comes to the math, because 
you know what you could have done is just looked at his yards per game, multiplied that by 16 to see a 16-game pace, was just over 4,600 yards. So I am with you there. This is a pretty easy buy for me. You mentioned a couple of the reasons he was on pace for just over 4,600 yards, and that was, number one, with the ankle injury in week one, that pretty much hampered him clear up until he hurt his knee against Denver. That's with Tyree Kill missing time early in the season and then a little bit again late in the season as well. He was banged up. I think in the Chargers game, he he left very early. And then also with the offensive line injuries, um, Eric Fisher isn't some savior, but he's a lot better than <laughs> the alternatives at, on the offensive line at, at left tackle for the Chiefs. And also, I think we've talked about this and we'll probably continue to do so. It's a bigger advantage than ever to have the whole crew back, kind of the whole team back. So I just think that helps. And then you would expect Hardman is going to be even better this year and you have everybody else back and you know, CEH and for Damian Williams. I I think this is a pretty easy over for me. Johnny, real quick, I assume you agree, but just want, just want to check in. Oh, I 100% agree. So some people might know this. I tend to like to gamble and I have multiple bookies. So Don, did you pull these numbers from my bookie? Like the yeah, this is my bookie. Yeah, they, we pull all the numbers from my bookie. Whoa, buddy. Okay, so <laughs> I have other bookies as well. One of them has Pat Mahomes at over 4,500. Wow. So I, wow. first time on the pod, am placing a live bet on the over 4,500 on Patrick Mahomes on the over <laughs> right now. Okay, I like it. While Johnny places that bet, we'll move on to our next guy, Christian McCaffrey. His number, I guess the way I should phrase it, is Dalton. Can Christian McCaffrey go over 1,220 and a half rushing yards? Are you buying that McCaffrey can top that number? Uh, this is going to be pretty similar to what I said about Alvin Kamara. I'm um, selling this number as well, just like I sold. I think Alvin was about 990 yards. Uh, last season, Christian McCaffrey had 287 rush attempts. We put him fourth in the NFL. Uh, crazy number. The league high was 303 in only 15 games for Derrick Henry. But overall, he had a 1,387 yards in 19. I don't see the Panthers repeating that. They really relied on him. More importantly, they signed him to a $16 million a year deal for four years. At this point, I think he's a quality weapon on their offense that they're going to want to utilize in efficient situations. And you're not going to want to put him out there for 20 to 25 touches a game. I think he's going to get more quality touches, which are good for fantasy players, but I don't think it's going to be a games where he's being asked to carry the ball 20, you know, 18 to 20 times a game. So I definitely don't think he's going to hit the over on this, but I think he has a lot higher receiving upside come this season. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you there. This is a sell for me and I think last year they just did uh, when I say they, I mean the previous coaching staff did just an absolute disservice to the guy by giving him over 400 touches in a completely meaningless and lost season, and that was apparent early on. It's a little bit of a waste, quite frankly. I, I don't see them chasing any records or anything like that for McCaffrey this year. You mentioned the 287 uh, carries. The number before the number before last year, excuse me, the year before, which he was still the top player in fantasy, was 219. I think. Everybody would feel more comfortable just, you know, for the sake of longevity, fantasy players, coaching staff, whoever, if you were closer to that number um, running the ball than the 287, which if he does that and he's still got the thousand yard upside, at least for receiving, he could still have a 2000 yard season, but I'm going to sell the the total on rushing yards. 
Absolutely. And I, I think at the end of the day, the Panthers are going to be a better offense and usually a better offense is going to funnel their entire game through their running back, no matter how talented and successful he is. Absolutely. And we can wait. Johnny has exited. He is coming back in. We'll give him five more seconds before we move on to Michael Thomas. Oh, we're good. Uh, oh, you're I back. I don't right. know if my camera's working, but I, I'm definitely going to sell on Christian McCaffrey hitting over 1,200 yards. I saw like, anytime you watch a Panthers game, it always went to him, and I just don't foresee that happening again this year, just him touching the ball every single time, even a dump down, a rush, just because like, they won't have Kyle Allen as their quarterback, and they just won't rely on Christian McCaffrey as much. So definitely going to sell this one. Absolutely. And Michael Thomas is next man up here. Talk about a guy who had just a huge season last year. Dalton, do you buy that Michael Thomas can top 1,401 and a half receiving yards? I am buying this one. Uh, I looked into his stats. Last year was obviously a monster year, but if you even go back yeah, over 1,700 yards last year. Yeah, over 1,700 yards, 185 targets, and 149 receptions. It's monstrous. Uh, but two years ago, he played all 16 games. He had 125 catches on 147 targets. And he just barely inched over the uh, 1400 mark at 1405. I see a very similar season coming up with. The only thing I think Vegas has this a little lower uh, instead of a closer to 1500 mark is there's concern about Emmanuel Sanders taking away some of that volume. Well, I think you may be the concern also would be maybe a healthier Kamara means a little bit less from Michael Thomas as well. I think that could maybe be factoring in. Yeah, uh, but you know, if I'm looking at even two years ago in 2018, he he hit over that number, so I'm pretty confident he's going to have another big year. He's just so good. He's the best route runner at slants in the NFL. Drew Brees doesn't like to throw deep down the field, and as somebody no, who's doesn't. a big fan of slants on Madden, you don't have to get pretty far down the field to hit your guy on those. So <laughs> I'm with you pretty much for all the reasons you just said. I don't really have any more to add to that. I think it's not going to be as good as it was last year, but I, I could very easily see something in between what he did two years ago and what he did last year, which would still make him worth his draft slot and is still just a, a monstrous season. Johnny, I'm a little concerned because I still can't see you, but I think you're still there. Are, are you buying or selling this one? We are going to rob Vegas. I'm buying this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, George Kittle, over 1,075 and a half receiving yards. Dalton, are you buying that the tight end out of Iowa can top this number? Specifically, I'm buying the tight end out of Iowa named George Kittle can. Noah mm -hmm. Fant and TJ Hawkinson, I'm not. <laughs> I think everybody knew who I was talking about. We only How, mentioned one of those three guys until you said their names. However, uh, you know, last season he had 14 games that he played and started in. He had 1,053 yards. So he was already almost to that number. I've said this before in the podcast, but defense is a metric that doesn't really hold steady. I think their defense at least takes a little bit of a step back. That's going to result in more passing attempts from Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, secondly, his targets <clears throat> increase. I think the receiving core is maybe a little improved, but it's probably more than likely going to be worse to start the season. Missing Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk has some things to figure out, and no Emmanuel Sanders. And then lastly, this is a crazy stat. He has the highest yards per route run in 2019, which was 3.12 yards, which was the same as Julio in 2016. And at that point, your only concern is that he runs less routes, 
but he's so efficient at doing it that I don't think it's too difficult to see him hitting the over of 1,076 yards receiving. Yeah, I'm with you here, and I know you guys were all in on Mahomes, which I, I was too, but for me, this was by far the easiest decision. Uh, this is bye, bye, bye all the way. Um, you mentioned last year he was, I think, just under that number in the 14 games he played. He was on pace for about 1,200 yards in 16 games. And then the year before that, he was almost at 1,400 yards. The the knock on him, you know, if you want to call it that, is he's not really a high touchdown guy. I think that's more on the scheme and the quarterback than him. But he only has 12 touchdowns in three years. So you think about where he's been in, in the tight end rankings and, you know, he's been competing with Kelsey and he's not a high touchdown guy. He's a high yards guy. So for me, this this was pretty easy. And on the subject of George Kittle, Dalton, did you see the feature story on Bleacher Report on him today? I did not see the feature story. I am a little concerned George Kittle might not play after the Jordan Reed signing in San Francisco. Sure. Obviously, this is assuming that he plays at least 14, 15 games. Uh, so this story I just wanted to to talk about or touch on one little nugget. I just thought it was so funny on one little nugget here. Um so when he was a senior in high school in Norman, Oklahoma, he was 6'3", 190 pounds, which that's just crazy to like picture now. The same guy that like took half the Saints team down the field with him <laughs> 6'3", 190. When he went to Weber State, um, shout out Damian Lillard, on his visit, he wore a sweatshirt with a heavy jacket on top of it to make himself look like he weighed like 220, even though he was like 190 because he was trying to get an offer. That's just that to that's just like the funniest, most George Kittle story ever. Oh my god. And now what's the guy? He's close to 225, I think. Oh, he's, he's got absolute he's monsters. Yeah, he doesn't have to layer up to to look big anymore. He just is. Johnny, um, 1075 and a half receiving yards. What are you thinking here? Oh, I think that's an easy buy. I, I think he'll probably reach like 1200 maybe 1300 but i i love the george kittle story of him going to weber <laughs> state like that's just so cool like the links these guys go to when they like did not that known and not highly recruited so I, that's an awesome story so <laughs> i root for the guy i'll, I'll buy this over by yeah, the way he, he packed on 60 pounds he's at 250 now he's, <laughs> yeah oh, he's that's casual he's a specimen well i mean he's basically very similar to the gronk in about every way right now so yeah um crazy to think that whatever probably six or seven years ago six years ago he weighed 190 um some people gained that much weight from senior in high school to age 25 but not the same kind of weight that our buddy george kill gained i was gonna say i think i gained 60 pounds in college but it wasn't (laughs) wasn't a good 60 (laughs) okay let's let's uh let's go to the best ball draft here um I guess, Dalton, you wanted to add a little bit of context as to what best ball is and just a little bit about the format in general. So I will let you um, cover that real quickly and then we'll jump into it. Yeah, just for any of our listeners, all 12 of you who aren't familiar with what best ball is, it's a style of draft that's kind of a you don't set your lineups weekly. So you just draft your guys and then it sets your optimal lineup over 16 weeks and the highest scoring team over those 16 weeks is the best. There are no head-to-head matchups. It just comes down to whoever scores the most points. There's also no waivers or trading. You draft your team and you keep your team. Uh, So because of this, you get 28 draft spots. It's a very deep draft. Uh, And additionally, you have to look for some like high arbitrage plays, players who other teams might not consider, 
who end up getting one crazy week. Uh, players that come to mind are like Jonas Gray against Miami with the Patriots. <laughs> one week, the guy has four touchdowns, 200 yards, and the NFL never hears of him again. Uh, but Evan and I jumped into one with the main event, FPPC, a $35 best ball league, and we're just going to chat a little bit about that. Yeah, so just uh, a real quick roster overview. So we go Joe Mixon in round or no, yeah, no, yeah. We went Joe Mixon round one, Tyree Kill round two. We were the eighth pick, so we were able to get a pretty good running back and receiver combo there. We go Mari Cooper and Cortland Sutton with the next two picks, and that is because apparently every other person in this twelve-man um, league was all in on taking running back. You would not, I mean, maybe this is the sign of things that come in regular drafts this year, but. My God, it was like we were picking from scraps already in the third round when it came to running back. But like every receiver you could have possibly still wanted was on the board. Yeah, not including our Joe Mixon pick. There were 22 backs taken before we were able to take another back. <laughs> Among those were players like DeAndre Swift, David Montgomery, and Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I remember. I, I remember I was like yelling. I was like, I can't believe we can't even get DeAndre Swift at the you know, in the in the third round, in the third or fourth round of a draft. Just ridiculous. So we go Dak Prescott and Michael Gallup to get a Cowboy stack with Amari Cooper. We also have Darius Geis and Marla Mack as our RB2 and 3. So I guess Dalton will start off with Geis because he's probably the biggest sticking point for this team given how shallow we are at running back, at least up top. We stacked up on... on uh, on backups later on. I think we have the most running backs in the league um, just with all the guys we took late. Let's talk about Darius, Darius Geis a little bit here. What's your best case scenario for this guy? Well, best case scenario starts with him playing 16 games. He's not seen a healthy season yet in the NFL, but he's an incredibly talented back coming out of LSU. Uh, I know we got sniped on him, and we also wanted to get Antonio Gibson and just wrap up the entire Redskins backfield. Yeah, but, he went in like the 11th round or like 10th round. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were talking about taking him maybe in a couple rounds, and then he just went. Uh, but the thing about Darius Geis is that he is a incredibly talented back. Coming out of LSU, he was a top-tier prospect. And the only concern with him now is those ACL injuries and knee injuries he's had that have landed him on the IR. But I think that <clears throat> Darius Geis is a guy who profiles as a back who can have a top-24 season. I know there's a lot of great coach speak for Antonio Gibson, but Darius Geis was a guy who caught the ball at LSU. He's a successful back. He can do it all. And I think that the Redskins offense with Dwayne Haskins' second year is going to be at least a little better than what we saw last year with Case Keenum. So you're going to get some upside with him. I don't think it's outside that he finishes as a top 24 back this season. And we did get him at some value. I mean, we got him in the sixth round. And guys like Kareem Hunt, who might have a good season, and David Johnson – who's not in a good rushing attack, went before him. So I saw a little bit of value there. Um, same thing, Cam Akers went right before him. I think that all, uh, Darius guys could outperform all three of those guys, and we did get some value there. Yeah, so I'm with you. He's a guy that when he's actually healthy and on the field, which has not been very often, but when he is, you can see the talent. You can see why it was a surprise that he dropped on draft night. It was just because of whatever off-the-field concerns there were for NFL teams because the guy was definitely a first-round talent. And if he could ever stay healthy and stay on the field, I, yeah, I agree with you. He's got – I think he's even got maybe a little more than top 24 upside. I would say he has something like top top 15 upside to me. But until we see him stay healthy consistently, that's a pretty long shot. But, hey, 
for the sake of this team, that'd be really, really nice if if he were able to accomplish that. Um, real quick on the Cowboys stack, I like this question you have down here. And stacks, you don't see him as much in season long, just normal fantasy, but especially with like three guys, but like just as far as like a receiver quarterback stack, that is still an effective strategy and just normal fantasy. It's always nice to get 10 points, 10 plus points on a touchdown pass. Is this Cowboys stack one of the better, like we'll say top two or three in the NFL? Uh, I do think it is, you know, and this all starts with Dak Prescott. It really starts and ends with him. And I just looked up his odds. Vegas is putting him at 43-19 as his over-under to hit in passing yards. I think he hits the over. One thing I found very interesting, I was a little down on this offense coming into the season because of the addition to Mike McCarthy, uh, but some good points have come out early first. Kellen Moore is going to retain play calling duties, and he was the guy who, especially at the start of the season, wanted them to throw the ball a lot. And then I looked at Mike McCarthy offenses, and in neutral and positive game scripts, he's a top five coach when it comes to passing the ball. He's actually one of the coaches in the NFL who likes to air it out. So I see that there's a lot of success here. Uh, more importantly, I really think that when it comes to skill and situation, the Cowboys are probably the second best offense in the NFL for passing, uh, second only to the Kansas City Chiefs. The only other stack that you might be able to look to, but it's not as good, would be the Baltimore Ravens if you were to get Andrews, uh, Marquise Brown, and Lamar Jackson. But this really profiles as one of the better stacks, I feel like. I'm glad we got Gallup, too, and I think overall it wraps it up as a good situation to be in. It's an offense that will hit more often than they miss. Cool, and I've got – so. After these kind of man guys, like I said, we took a ton of shots on um, on backup running backs just because we felt like we kind of had to. We're hoping to maybe hit on a guy or two. So some of those man guys, Raquel Armstead from the Jaguars, Damian Harris from the Patriots, Anthony McFarlane from the Steelers, and Ito Smith from the Falcons. Um, I would say of this group, my favorite is Armstead. And we will probably, maybe not talent-wise, I think maybe talent-wise it might be Anthony McFarland, just based on what we've seen in college. We haven't seen anything in the NFL, obviously. But just looking at the situation and, you know, spoiler alert, we might talk about Leonard Fournette in my my five guys I'd change my opinion on later on. Um, I think Armstead has a chance to earn himself a lot of work. Dalton, what do you think of this group? Um, Who's your favorite? That's a tough one. Um, I at first I did want to go with Armstead, but I actually went with Ito Smith. Uh, first of all, I think the injury profile of Todd Gurley is a net positive for Ito Smith owners. Second of all, in the last ten years, there have only been eight teams to have two running backs finish in the top twenty-four. One of those was the twenty sixteen Falcons, when Ito Smith and Devonta Freeman had top twenty-four se- seasons. Additionally. Uh, I think there will be some limited usage concerns with Todd Gurley's knee in Atlanta. So Ito Smith might even have some standalone value. At the very least, he might provide you some receiving touchdown upside. One interesting thing I do want to say about Raquel Smith or Raquel Armstead is playerprofile.com, which takes players' spark profiles and compares them, has his most comparable to Lamar Miller. Uh, which is kind of depressing when you think about it because I don't know if he's going to be able to supplant Leonard Fournette, but we have seen a Jacksonville team that just doesn't want anything to do with him any longer. Mm -hmm. So hopefully this guy comes out as being the one uh, to really get the bulk of touches in Jacksonville. 
Agree there. Um, you mentioned Devontae Freeman. We did actually end up with him pretty late, later than I would have assumed based on the way running backs were drafted in this draft. Do you have like an ideal landing spot? Hey, Johnny has been off camera for about 10 minutes. Glad to have you back, bud. Um, Dalton, do you have an ideal landing spot for, for Devontae Freeman that could be most helpful to our team? Uh, this was a tough one for me because the first team to really stick out that could use an every down running back was Jacksonville. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when it comes to the purposes of our team, I don't want two Jacksonville running backs. Uh, that's disgusting. So I'm actually going to come down on the Rams. I don't know if Cam Akers is what we believe he's going to be. Daryl Henderson has gotten his shot. There's not a lot of belief there. They are a team that at least historically has profiled as a one down back system. I know there's a lot of talk coming out of uh, head coach speak that they want to run it similar to the Niners, but that would be my ideal situation. It's a high profile passing attack uh, that could give Devontae Freeman's receiving usage a, a little bit of a bump. That would be my ideal. What about you? I think the far and away top option for me is the Seattle Seahawks. I think if he ended up in Seattle, I think he's every bit as good as Chris Carson still. And with the, I mean, I know Devontae Freeman's injury prone, but Chris Carson has not proven to be the perfect picture of health by any means. So if you have something to happen to Carson, you could see a top 12 back pretty easily in Devontae Freeman. And even if something didn't happen, you know, we talked about it when we complained and complained about Russ not throwing as much as we would like. I They're going to run the ball. So even if he ends up there with a healthy Carson, you know, Penny's going to be gone for a while. I think you could easily see him carve out 10 to 12 touches a game even with chris carson there now i'm gonna shoot something at you and see how you feel about this <laughs> okay uh i know we drafted two patriots backs but with sony michelle starting on the pup would you be excited to see Devonte freeman kind of getting the the role in new england it looks like he could beat every down back there with cam yeah yeah absolutely i i would say the reason i picked seattle is just because that offense is going to be a lot better but yeah i think if you're just talking about where you could have a bigger role we we took damian harris but i'm not necessarily a believer in any of the running backs they have there i mean i like james white but he has clear limitations as far as running goes yeah i i think freeman would be a pretty ideal um fit there as well i, I will say to our listeners we will be tweeting out a, a best ball our draft one player that we're excited about, and there's a thread on our Twitter you can check out, is JJ Taylor. The guy is 5'4 and runs so fast. You thought Muscle Hamster Doug Martin was a player to watch for? If New England doesn't add any backs, him and Damian Harris are two guys you can get late, and JJ Taylor might be the guy in New England, and it's exciting. He's so small, he could never be the guy. But he's a fun player and he's a fun best ball guy to have because if he has if he has one blow up week, I think that might be like fantasy euphoria. Like if he has like one week where he has like two touchdowns or something. If JJ Taylor has a big fantasy week, <laughs> I'm booking it, quitting my job, and I'm becoming a full time fantasy analyst. <laughs> okay, so tight end, it seemingly every tight end in the NFL was taken before we had a chance to draft one. Um even like backup tight ends were like Gerald Everett were being taken like four or five rounds higher than you'd say. I mean, he probably didn't be drafted in a normal fantasy football draft and he was going in like the, I don't remember what round, but like 12th, 13th round it felt like. Um, so we ended up with Eric Ebron, probably one of my least favorite tight ends in the NFL because of his hands of stone, but he plays on an offense that you hope will pass a lot still yet again this year. So 
I guess it could have been worse seeing as how we probably took him as he probably was like the 28th tight end off the board, like somewhere in that range. Um, Dalton, based on this question, I think you have more faith in Ebron's potential than me, but we'll see. Do you think he has top six potential? Spoiler alert, I don't. I do, uh, and it relies on several things. As I've said in the past six episodes, I think the Steelers' offense comes back to a better fashion than it did last year. In the last three years, they've ranked top 12 in the NFL in yards and touchdowns in the passing game. Uh, Touchdowns are where Eric Ebron makes his meet, which is the good news about owning him in a best ball draft is he will have weeks where he has two touchdowns and 60 yards and weeks where he has zero. But I don't have to make the decision to start him. Uh, In 2018, he ranked fourth in points in tight ends, first in points per snap, and ninth in points per touch. So he is a very efficient tight end. Like Evan said, his big issue is he cannot catch the ball well. Uh, (laughs) Seems like a problem. (laughs) I also think he profiles as the secondary red zone target in a good passing attack after Juju. Um, And last but not least, if you follow him on Twitter, you saw recently he said he thought he was the top three tight end in the league after only Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. So you got to love a guy who's a dog like that. And maybe this is the year he gets his and he has a 1,500-yard season and six touchdowns and just blows us all away. Yeah, if he drafts himself there like he says he will, um, his fantasy team is going to be really bad. Okay, um, last guy that we can hit on just a little bit. I don't have too much to say on this topic, Dalton, so I will let you take the reins here. We took Will Disley as our backup tight end. Again, we really were just kind of choosing from scraps. I don't think a terrible option if he's able to come back healthy, and I think they're kind of babying him back, but it sounds like he's doing well based on you know, just reports out of Seahawks camp the last uh, couple of weeks. What do you see out of this guy? Is Greg Olson a long-term issue there for you, or do you think when Disley comes back, it's his job? Well, Greg Olson's, what, 35, 36? Um, I think he's going to be a good placeholder for the first four weeks or so. We don't see Disley. I also think Disley profiles is the third best receiving option on that offense. Their their third wide receiver is Philip Dorsett, who's a historical journeyman. He's never been able to make a lot of himself with good quarterbacking. Uh, so I don't really necessarily think he's going to put a lot in that target share. And I think I sent a tweet on this a little while ago, but when healthy, Will Disley was a top six tight end in fantasy last year. He had a high per game total, and he had a real knack for finding the end zone. Now, it's hard to predict red zone touchdowns year by year, but in an offense with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, two guys who are efficient catching the ball and two guys who can get separation, when Will Disley is getting more touchdowns than them on a per-week basis, uh, it's something to raise your eyebrows about. So I think he's a guy who can profile as a week-in, week-out starter. Um, And in a best ball draft, you know, He's a guy we won't see for a couple weeks, but when he starts, I think he could be somebody who provides us a little more consistency when Eric Ebron can't do that. Yeah, one thing you like about um, the way the Seahawks run their offense, um, if they're not gonna if they're gonna run the ball, one thing it does help is it does help um, get more tight ends on the field. So even if Olsen is a factor, you're gonna have a lot of two tight end sets. You're gonna have a lot of play action in the red zone where the defense does actually bite because the play action is like. Not just they're not just doing it to do it, like they actually run the ball a lot. So I think that maybe contributes to the touchdown efficiency there a little bit. And yeah, it really just depends on on when he gets healthy. But okay. Um on to our top five guys, or I guess just five guys that we changed our opinion on. I, I know both of us, 
I don't know about you, but I like completely redid my ranks. I found that easier than just uh, editing in the doc that we already had. So I'm curious to see where you end up. We have not seen literally any of of these ranks, unlike the first time where we had looked the ranks over and found discussion points. Um, so Dalton, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, you can go five five to one, one to five, whatever. Um, who is, I guess we'll say, the f- number five, the first guy that you change your opinion on? Tell me what you had him ranked before. Tell me what you have him ranked now. And what do you think about him? All right. Well, I'm going to start at the back of my rankings. One guy, he's a running back who I really changed my opinion on, uh, Zach Moss. And I know you're going to hate hearing this, Evan, because you are a Zach or a Devin Singletary truther. Um, but the move wasn't significant enough to catapult him above Singletary. The move took him. Well, from, I would hope not. <laughs> the move took him from 48, where he was wedged between Daryl Henderson and James White, up to 36, which put him between Marlon Mack, Carrion Johnson, and Rojo. And I, he's there for a couple of reasons. 26? 36, I apologize. Oh, 36. Um, so he's there for a couple of reasons. One, Frank Gore got 10 to 12 touches a game. I can see the same happening with Zach Moss. And he's a successful back in college. He was profiled as a straight down the line rusher, um, but the stats really don't show the same thing. You know, he is a receiving back. He was really successful in college at that. He had 14.5 yards after the catch, which was second in FBS last year. He had 407 yards after the catch total, um, and he missed. He, he forced 15 missed tackles on receptions. So he might be the guy in this offense who's catching balls out of the backfield. Additionally, Frank Gore was the guy who got more goal line touches than Devin Singletary. I'm not going to project Zach Moss getting more touches than Devin Singletary in the red zone, but I think there's a 40-60, 30-70 split there that can justify me putting him with other guys in similar timeshares. And last but not least, Buffalo has a good offensive line and they're a run first team. So I think he's going to get some good looks. He could have a couple of weeks where he outperforms. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So you mentioned that I am a pretty big Singletary guy. So I have Zach Moss ranked 51 and that's not very far off of where I had him. I, I think I had him like 50th last time or, or something like that. 49. So I pretty much kept him in the same spot. I think he's going to have a role, but to me, Singletary is just so clearly, at least for now, he's just proven. He's proven to be a very good NFL player. And again, I don't love that they brought in Moss, but here's the thing. I still expect Singletary is going to get more touches than last year. I don't think that Moss is just going to come in and absorb that entire Frank Gore role. And then you just have the concerns as far as the goal line goes. It's like, because the whole upside to me with Zach Moss is like, well, maybe he's just the goal line back and Singletary doesn't hardly get any goal line touches. Well, I mean, what if Josh Allen's just the goal line back, you know? So I don't know. To me, I, I get, I understand what people are talking about with Moss, but I'm just such a big Singletary guy. Like, I don't think, I think if they would not have brought Zach Moss in, I could have easily talked myself into taking Singletary in the second round. Well, for what it's worth, I do still have Singletary ranked 20th right above Le'Veon Bell and Mark Ingram. So I still believe in him, uh, but I kind of agree with what you said. The largest concern on that offense is Josh Allen taking away goal line work, uh, quarterback sneaking it in. Also why Josh Allen might be my QB3. He's not in this, but he definitely might make the My Guys episode. Uh, but I definitely hear that. But Evan, who's your number one? Okay, so I'm going to start with number five, work my oh, way sorry, up five. to my number one, actually. But uh, my number five, and this wasn't a big move necessarily, but he moved up five spots. 
Um, Ronald Jones. So I had Ronald Jones 29th last time. I have him clear up to 24 right now. Just because just the more I looked at some of those other guys in that range, at least you know for me, um, Raheem Mostert, Darius Geis, Kareem Hunt, I think Ronald Jones has more upside than than all of those guys to me. Obviously, if Nick Chubb gets hurt, that's a whole new ball game. But we're not predicting upside based on injury, just just upside of the player. So I, I think just to me, I've been on Ronald Jones this entire time. I mean, 29, where I had him before, was already a little high compared to other places, I feel like. They bring in LaShawn McCoy, who I think we both agree is just kind of mostly going to be a locker room guy. Maybe he gets a little third down work you know, blocking for Tom Brady and catching some passes. I don't think he's a real threat to like Ronald Jones workload necessarily though. Um, then the other thing is Keyshawn Vaughn. I had him in the mid forties before I dropped him down the 50 right above Zach Moss. Actually, he was just activated off the COVID list um, within the last couple of hours. So he has been away from the team and out for a little while. So that's just even more time away from the team, which for a rookie, obviously they're not, going full contact or anything right now but just the mental reps and the time with coaches and stuff like that that he's missing i think sets him back a little bit sets up ronald jones a little bit better helps him take kind of an early stranglehold on that job um you mentioned coach speak obviously bruce arians <laughs> is kind of the master at that he said that jones will be the main guy which he he said that last year and i saw you sent the tweet to us where you <laughs> It was kind of making fun of that. The guy did actually have over a thousand yards. I know he didn't start off as the main guy, but once he was the guy, I think he was pretty good last year. He was a guy that if you picked him up off waivers, you were you were pretty happy to start him at your RB two if you were RB needy. Um, Been there. I don't know. I <laughs> I just think he's a pretty good player, and I think a running back who is the lead dog in an offense that could be that high powered and that has Tom Brady. Could you know be scoring a lot of touchdowns? I think that's a good situation to be in on paper, and I like the player, so I like that combination. I like the upside. That's why I moved him up to twenty-four. Dalton, what do you think about that? You have him quite a bit lower than me. It sounds like. Uh, well, first, I just want to read a couple of things from last year. Bruce Arians, Ronald Jones will be a heck of a player for us. Uh, Over a thousand <laughs> yards, pretty good. Bruce Arians, Ronald Jones, confident should be sky high with the kind of training camp he's had. Uh, but this is a guy who did split time with Peyton Barber, who was isn't a very talented back, in my opinion. Uh, a couple of things concern me when it comes to uh, Ronald Jones. I will say he did move up in my rankings a bit. I moved him to 30, right around the J.K. Dobbins, Kareem Hunt territory. So we're not too far apart on him. Um, but I do agree, Keyshawn Vaughn is trending downwards. But the, the Bucks did invest third round draft capital on him. Secondly, and here we go with the name game, Dare Ogunbowale. 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 That's how you say it. He. A lot of people are profiling him as James White for Tom Brady. It just limits the upside of a back when he can't get a lot of pass catching. And Rojo hasn't really been a back to do that historically. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think he can actually be an okay pass catcher. I think he does kind of have that in his skill set, he can be a good screen guy. I mean, he's fast. He's he's a fast guy. I think he could be – he's not going to be running like advanced routes or anything like that. But I think there could be a little bit uh, of passing game work there 
um, for him. Also, I should mention, I don't have the number in front of me. He did bulk up a lot from last season. I like that I, as well. Get, I think get he's a little, at 225 get, now. Get a little, bit more Oz, get a little bit more on his frame because he even gained, I think he came into the NFL like around 190, 195. So he's put on close to 30 pounds of muscle in two years. We'll see how that treats him this year. Yeah, and I mean, last season he had a total of 40 targets. Um, so when you know you combine his rushing receiving, he does hit over a thousand yards. But it's just a difficult look for me. It's there are so many question marks in the backfield, which is really why I have it where it's at. And I think a lot of what we've seen out of beat reporters in Tampa is that the back is going to end up be whoever Tom Brady works best with, which is just a scary notion. Uh, from what we've seen in the New England days, it really can vary week to week. And who knows if that was Belichick or <laughs> Brady. Uh, the last thing I'll say about this, if you are looking for a positive on him, it's been reported that he's the best pass blocker in that backfield and that LaShawn McCoy was brought in because of concerns with the other guys pass blocking. Uh, that's a big factor, especially with a quarterback like Tom Brady. So if you're looking for upside with Rojo, he probably is the best pass blocker second to LaShawn McCoy, who's at this point is becoming a, an old journeyman who I wouldn't see biting into that snap share significantly. Yeah, I mean, you talk about wanting a guy Tom Brady can trust. I think he's going to trust the guy who is protecting him the best. So I think that profile is pretty well for Ronald Jones. I'm excited. I think I'm going to end up with quite a bit of him on my team um, in different drafts that I do. Uh, number four, Dalton, who do you have? All right. So at this point, I'm just working my way of guys who I had ranked lower to guys who I had ranked higher. Um, this one's going to be a receiver. And I, I'm actually a little – I can't believe I had him ranked so low, but it's Michael Gallup. So I had Michael Gallup ranked at 39. Uh, to list some names I had next to him previously, I had him next to Sterling Shepard and Deontay Johnson, uh, who might be two wide receiver twos. But here's the deal. Last season – Michael Gallup had 112 targets and ended with 1,100 receiving yards. I'm moving him up to the 30 spot, which is above Jamison Crowder, who's another guy I'm big on. It's going to be above Jarvis Landry. It's right underneath Stefan Diggs, who I might flip that to. It's above Marvin Jones and AJ Green. Uh, and my primary concern was the addition of CD Lamb. I shouldn't have been as concerned for that. I think we're capping out at about 90 targets. Randall Cobb is missing now that he's out of that offense. So I don't see any concern with him being the clear-cut wide receiver two in a good passing offense. And more importantly, if you just go with some coach speak, the Dallas Morning Star was profiling that Kellen Moore said that Michael Gallup has been looking cleaner than Amari Cooper to start the season. And I know there were concerns with Amari Cooper's route running, but a lot of fantasy analysts especially say Michael Gallup is the better receiver it's a hot take. I don't know if I lie on that, but I do think he should be ranked closer to the top 24 because he profiles as a guy who can finish as that, and he did last year. So where do you have him ranked right now? 30th. 30th. Okay, I actually have him 29, so we're pretty much in, in agreement there. And for a lot of the reasons you said, I, I think it's a bridge too far to say he's better than Cooper, fantasy, or real life, no doubt. But he's a pretty good player, and even if there are some CeeDee Lamb concerns, I I don't think it's unrealistic that they could have three guys. I don't know if they're going to have them all over a thousand, but I mean, you could see three guys push for a thousand yards because I don't really see anybody else that stands out to me as a guy that like I could see really pushing them for targets. Like you have Blake Jarwin, you have Zeke, like other, there's not like other receivers there that I like. So I think those are like the three man guys. I think Gallup is, is a pretty safe and, and pretty good option. And if Cooper were to not play all 16 games, 
and play through injuries this time. I think he has some pretty high upside. So for me at number four, I also went with a receiver. I went with Keenan Allen. Um, I had Keenan Allen 31 in our first round of rankings. And I have him. I don't know where you have him. Had him before and had him now, Dalton. I have him clear up to 24, which when I ranked him 31, I think I was a little bit too afraid of that situation. And I'm still afraid of it. Otherwise, he would be a lot higher than that. But I think basically what this comes down to for me is I'm just going to have faith in the player. And the player is someone who has proven that he that he deserves to have that faith because over the last three seasons, or I guess I should say he is one of only two guys in hell with an active streak of 90 or more catches and 1,100 or more yards. It's him and DeAndre Hopkins. And when you look at guys with in the last two seasons that have 97 or more catches and 1,100 or more yards, that's him and Michael Thomas. So he's up there with the best of the best as far as just year in, year out consistency. That That's via the athletic, by the way. Basically, I'm just going to bet that a guy who I think is at least a top 10 receiver in the NFL and finished as wide receiver eight last year, even though it felt like kind of a rough ride with Phillip Rivers, I'm going to bet that he can produce. And this is even still with that quarterback situation, whether it's Tyrod Taylor or Herbert. That's kind of baked into this ranking for me. He's not a huge week-to-week upside play, but I think you're going to see he he's a guy that I think I could plug into my wide receiver too and get 10 to 12 points at least a week. Well, it's really interesting you have him at 24 because before we changed our rankings and worked on them, I had Keenan Allen at 22. Two of my risers actually jumped above him, which pushes him back to 24 for me <laughs> Uh, so we are right on the dead with this. Again, I think what I'm baking into that is uh, quarterback uncertainty, quarterback change. Those are two factors. Additionally, uh, Tyrod Taylor isn't as clean of a passer as Rivers. Uh, we don't know what Justin Herbert will be. Uh, more importantly, Keenan Allen runs really crisp and clean routes. Oh, he's, he's probably off- the best route runner in the NFL. He's awesome. Absolutely. But his big downside is he cannot keep himself on the field he consistently is off the field and in a season with so much uncertainty as covid uh, i just don't know what their offense is going to look like you're putting a lot of stock in anthony lynn coaching up one of their two new quarterbacks uh no matter how much separation he's getting keenan allen is just asking for a lot but i do still have him top 24 just because of how talented he is he still is the clear-cut number one I don't know how talented Mike Williams is in comparison, uh, nor do I think Hunter Henry is a large threat to his receiving share. Well, and just when you're talking about Mike Williams versus Keenan Allen, and when you're talking about two guys who I think are probably going to be bad quarterbacks this year, you know, you look at Mike Williams, who's a contested catch guy, and then you look at Keenan Allen, who is always open. I mean, you got to think that Keenan Allen is going to be the security blanket for whichever quarterback is is running the team this season and yeah i i just like the player like i'm trying to think if you put him let's say you put him on the houston texans you you take brandon cooks off you put keenan allen on what is he a top seven receiver you think yeah absolutely so Uh, i mean that's what kind of talent we're talking about here you know we're talking about a guy that if you just put him in a good situation he you can make an argument for him as high as top three you know depending on what team he's on what situation things of that nature so He's a guy that I just think I I had too low, got a little bit too freaked out by the Chargers, still a little bit freaked out by him, but 
I like Keenan Allen. Dalton, who you got number three? Um, so I know this one is going to be one of our major disagreements for several reasons, uh, but this is one of the guys who pushed Keenan Allen back and actually took his spot at 22, and it's uh, Will Fuller for the Houston Texans. Oh. <laughs> he went from my wide receiver 34 to my wide receiver 22. I have which, him ranked 32nd, and I feel disgusting about it, but go on. It ranks him right above DK Metcalf, Robert Woods, uh, T.Y. Hilton, uh, Marquise Brown. Uh, there are a couple reasons for that. First, this is a crazy stat considering how successful Deshaun Watson has been, but 41 of Watson's 72 touchdowns have come with Will Fuller on the field, which does show a bit of how successful Will Fuller has been. We all know how bad Will Fuller is at staying healthy, but when he is healthy, Deshaun Watson eats at just throwing touchdowns, and I think that's part because Will Fuller blows the cap off. Well, yeah, uh, I was going to say, I, I, I think that's more about how he can stretch the field as opposed to just like his overall skill set and how good of a receiver he is. Go on. Well, and that's where I get into the their defense. They're a funnel defense this season, meaning they're not good. Last season, they were the 32nd ranked passing defense in the NFL. Uh, they made Drew Locke look like a star for one week, and then I don't think he cleared 200 yards again. Uh, and they're missing 104 receptions uh, from DeAndre Hopkins alone. Those are going to take a lot to feel, fill. Even if you replace some of those with Brandon Cooks, I think that Will Fuller has the QB familiarity with Deshaun Watson. That's a big bump. And last but not least, I went back and looked at his Falcons game where he scored 50 fantasy points. I watched the tape, and the guy looks so clean when he's well, on the field. And, and then how was he his next however many games? Well, his game against the Chiefs where he dropped two wide-open touchdowns, that may have been the next week. He did. He still had four catches for 54 yards that game, which overall is not a horrible fantasy day. But I have him slide because if you get a full 15, 16 games out of him, you have a guy who has weak winning potential. And even then, if you don't, he still gives you weak winning potential. I actually lost to a, a league mate of ours, Noah Beery, who had Will Fuller this Falcons week where he scored 50 points on me. So he definitely gives you the upside. There's just a lot of downside, but I think I'm baking that into still keeping him lower at 22. Yeah, it's too bad that that one week isn't worth more than one win um, for your fantasy team. Yeah, to me, I I just don't think Will Fuller is a very good player. I think Brandon Cooks is better in almost every way than Will Fuller. I mean, obviously, Brandon Cooks has the concussion concern, but if you're just talking about being injury-prone in general, I don't know which guy has more if you like put an arrow next to every spot on his body he was hurt james connor or will fuller who do you think has a higher number two guys I mean, i'm huge on i mean will fuller it, it take literally i think i could flick his hamstring and it would be strained uh, the the guy just saw and that's the thing it's not just injuries like these are soft tissue injuries and those are always a concern um and i mentioned the drops against the chiefs he a little eric ebronish in his hands sometimes and I don't know. He's just not trustworthy. The The great weeks are great weeks, but at the end of the day, unless you have a fantasy league where you're, some weeks are weighted for more wins than others, those great weeks are only going to get you one win. So I, even if he does finish as the wide receiver 32, the ride's not or 32 for me, 22 for you. The ride to get there is going to be such a roller coaster that I just don't see. I don't think it's worth it to be that high on him. John, I'm curious what you think, because yeah, 10 spots, especially this early in the draft, is a pretty big disagreement. Who are you are you more on Will Fuller at 22 or Will Fuller at 32? Will Fuller at 32. All right. That's that's my stance. 
I right, will I like say it. Will Fuller, since he entered the NFL, this is from player profile, has the 16th best catch rate at 69%. Um, those include the season where he was thrown balls from Brock Osweiler. I think we are underrating him a bit, his ability as a receiver. I think he is more talented than we're giving him credit for. I think I actually, the main I, takeaway I, is that he is I don't a I don't I don't believe he is and I think it's real easy to just run fly routes when DeAndre Hawkins is the receiver on the other side of you who can do literally everything. That would be my rebuttal to that. I think I mean, he's, we saw, I think he's talented, but I don't think we've ever seen him not injured. I well, and that's the big concern that's baked into him, but I mean, I think at 22, I don't feel like the injury concern is baked in at all. I definitely do. I mean, you're still getting him in the fifth or sixth round at 22. So you want to draft Wolf Fuller to start him? That'd yes. be an every week starter. I Ooh, think okay. with the way the wide receiver outlook is the NFL right now, I can get a guy who, who I could start if Wolf Fuller would get injured and feel just as comfortable, but Wait, have and, more upside with Wolf Fuller. And where'd you have him ranked before this? 32. 30. So, okay. Sorry, let me go check for you. I had Wolf Fuller ranked 34. So he moved up 12 spots. Okay. I don't think I have any more to say on Will Fuller. I think we've maxed out this discussion. My number three is um, a guy that we've maybe hit on a little bit. And I think maybe this kind of occurred to me when we were doing our best ball draft the other day is Curtis Samuel. Um, I had Curtis Samuel at 60 the first time we did these rankings. Now he's clear up to 43. He He's my biggest riser. I mean, the 60 to 43 in the grand scheme of things, He's still a bench player, but that's by far my biggest rise um, so far in the ranks. I think there's a little bit of post-hype uh, sleeper appeal here. When you think back to last year, him and DJ Moore were so close by draft time as far as ranking, and I don't think that was ever the correct decision. I think DJ Moore clearly proved he's a much more complete player, but in a year where they had three quarterbacks who were all really bad, the guy had 54 receptions, over 600 yards and six touchdowns. And I buy into the thought that Joe Brady and company are going to get creative with how they use um, Samuel there. Rule said last week, uh, Matt Rule, had, new head coach Matt Rule, that he could see Samuel playing multiple positions. I did also find it funny that they are apparently teaching everybody, like both sides of the ball, in case they get overwhelmed with coronavirus, which um, I think you would just not be able to play your games if that happened, but maybe that's just me. Um, but yeah, I do anticipate that he is a guy that they're going to be moving around a lot, finding ways to get him the ball. We mentioned um, McCaffrey as a guy who the volume should hopefully be scaled back a little bit. And I think this could be one of the main beneficiaries right here in Curtis Samuel, because I think they can use him at a lot of places, including running back. And the reason why this occurred to me during our best ball draft is as we were looking for guys late in that draft to take, you asked me, you're like, well, who's Christian McCaffrey's backup? We went and looked, and it was like I barfed on my computer. It's like I don't want either one of these guys. Like I could totally see Samuel being number one, a starting receiver, because Robbie Anderson's fine. You talk about a guy who can do one thing. He you know run deep, runs deep routes, and that's it. But you know you have a starting receiver, and then you have a guy who, I mean, he's not going to get a heavy workload as the running back, but he could be their lead running back if Christian McCaffrey got hurt. Dalton, I'm curious what, what your thoughts are on this guy. Well, and he's not one of my risers, but in my draft rankings, I had him and Preston Williams at 53 and 54. Both those guys are now at 41 and 42, respectively, above Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, um, Brashad Perriman. So we're pretty much about the same here. 
I did see Joe Judge came out and said he wants to use Curtis Samuel more like he was used at Ohio State, which means he's a back who can run the ball. He's a guy who can play out of the slot, which is exciting. Uh, Curtis Samuel kind of profiles like a Percy Harvin to me, who is a guy who is incredibly talented at multiple positions. And if he gets the opportunity to be utilized in different positions, you know, he can run the fly route and then run ISO the next play and be successful in both of those. If you give the guy that capability, uh, it can make opposing defenses really respect him differently. And then they do have two weapons in DJ Moore and uh, Christian McCaffrey who take away a lot of the uh, matchups he would have to deal with otherwise. He had an all right season last year, but I also think their offense was just underwhelming from quarterback play. I could see him this season having over a thousand total yards uh, because he's going to get a lot of the secondary work behind Christian McCaffrey if the coach speak coming from Joe Judge and Matt Rule is correct. Yeah, and so like to be clear, I think like when you talk about him as a running back, you talk, you know, a guy that you line up in shotgun next to Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that maybe you line up in the backfield and send them motion for like those little swing routes, like like things like that, just creative ways like that, you know, some jet sweeps from the slot. So just creative ways to get him the ball. I think he's an interesting um, potential flex play down the line, depending on how things work out there. Um, okay, down to our top two guys. Uh, Dalton, who do you have at number two? Um, this was a guy who I was, I've been high on all season and I, I just don't know if I did the respect that I needed to put on his name. Uh, it's Terry McLaurin. So I had Terry McLaurin ranked wide receiver 25 between Robert Woods and T Y Hilton. I moved him up to wide receiver 17, right above Tyler Lockett, Cortland Sutton and Odell Beckham Jr. And right underneath, uh, Allen Robinson first. You know, he had the second best rookie grade of the decade per pro football focus coming in second only to that stellar season. Odell Beckham posted. Secondly, there's just not a lot of target competition coming out of Washington. You could see a season where this guy gets 120 targets pretty easily. Dontrell Inman was just signed up as one of their backup wide receivers. And then you have Steven Sims, who was efficient in his last four games, but even then you're splitting it amongst two guys. I do see a little bit of a positive uh, regression from Dwayne Haskins. He's a guy who was talented at Ohio State and will hopefully end up being talented enough in the NFL to post an average quarterback play and get Terry McLaurin close to what we were seeing when he was playing with uh, Case Keenum, where he really put up a lot of his best numbers. And last but not least, Pro Football Focus said he was the fifth best route runner in the NFL last season, which is pretty good considering some of the names he was up against, the likes of Tyler Lockett, Stefan Diggs, and Keenan Allen. It really just comes down to if you believe he can either get volume or efficient quarterbacking, I think he'll get volume over the efficient quarterbacking, but he's a guy who's going to have another good season, I feel like. I really don't like you. Why is that? Because this was my guy that I left off of this list this week. Oh specifically man. because he's probably going to be my number one like breakout my guy player in fantasy football this year i had him at 24 in the previous rankings i have him up to 14 right now and i might even consider jumping him up over adam thielen um i think this guy could end up being one of the like elite guys in the nfl maybe not like right away this year but just in general i think that guy has that type of talent and Talk about the quarterback play. I mean, Dwayne Haskins coming out of Ohio State, you know, there is supposed to be, you know, if we know one thing about Dwayne Haskins is he's an accurate thrower. I mean, my God, how many times when 
I won't say we watched a Redskins game, but how many times when Red Zone flashed us over to a Red Z- Redskins game, now the Washington football team, did you I was going to say brief correction. <laughs> did you see the ball sailing five yards over McLaurin's head from Dwayne Haskins? So I, th- I, the, he just didn't look ready at all last year, and I would hope that you get better than that. And if you get better than that, to me, I mean, he's just a stud. I don't know how many ways, how, how else to really, really articulate it. You, you mentioned all the stuff with the, with the such a high grade in his rookie season from Pro Football Focus. I just think he's has the potential to be a really special receiver in the NFL, quite frankly. Well, and you also have a coach coming over in Ron Rivera who specialized in Carolina in a short passing game attack with Cam Newton. I think Dwayne Haskins' efficiency and his ability to target effective, you know, get the direct and accurate throws to his guys really works better with Ron Rivera. Their skill sets match up, um, which I also think is a plus coming into the season. Yeah, and there's just nothing he doesn't do well. I mean, good route runner. You, you've seen him go up and make some of those contested catches, even though he's not the biggest guy, he can still do it. And he's obviously very fast, very quick, you know, shifty with his moves. He's, he's just such a good player. I really like him. I really hate you for naming him on this oh. list. I was really excited to talk about him in a couple of weeks, but we'll, well talk about is, him a little bit more at that time. It's a little bit of a primer, I guess. This is now a CEH Terry McLaurin podcast for any of our listeners yeah i don't know what i'm more mad about the fact that you stole my thunder or the fact that i now know that there's at least two other people in my league with the two of you who are going to be probably targeting him as high as i am so i might not get him in like the third round like i really would love to gary terry's guy okay who do you got at your number two spot? Okay, so my number two is a lot less exciting. I didn't go in order of where these guys were in my rankings like you. Uh, my number two is James White. So James White, I had 40th in my previous rankings. And I think this is just a combination of I had him too low to begin with, which is just kind of that's just kind of how it goes with James White. You don't really want to rank him high because it's not really very exciting. And just with the Sony Michelle news and just all the uncertainty there. I have him up to 31 right now. And so at 31, he's kind of the last running back um, on my rankings where you kind of, you feel good about the workload. Um, Cause after him, it's like Tariq Cohen, Cam Akers, Marlon Mack guys that you're a little less sure about. So to me, you feel pretty good about the workload. I mean, obviously Christian McCaffrey is Christian McCaffrey, but you have Cam Newton who has proven he's willing to dump down, you know, do the, the horizontal game to running backs with Christian McCaffrey. James White uh, obviously is a, a great receiving running back. I think weeks one through five only. Oh, no, that's actually not James White. That's another guy that I'll talk about later. Wrong small guy. J.J. Taylor. Yeah, J.J. Taylor. But without Michelle, I actually think there's a little bit of upside just um, running the ball for James White. I don't think he's going to get a ton of carries, but I can see that volume going up a little bit. They're obviously not going to overburden him. Otherwise, they'll break down. But you can see some more carries. And then, like I mentioned, everything you everything he does through the air, he's a great receiving back. I also think that this says a little bit about Damian Harris, just that I don't have a ton of faith he's going to be too productive. Obviously, it's worth a shot drafting him late, and there's touches to be had there. But I think White is kind of the guy, as I see, is the the main beneficiary as far as that goes. And to me, he's kind of like the ideal third running back on your team. Like if you have two solid running backs, you get um, James White as your third back. 
he doesn't have a super high ceiling, kind of like Keenan Allen. Week to week basis, not a super high ceiling, but he's a guy who you feel great about, you know, on, on a bye week, putting in your flex or just if you know someone's hurt or whatever. And at that point, you know, 31st among running backs, that's pretty valuable to me. And I think he's about the last guy you can say that about with confidence. So this is one we might be a little different on. Um, first of all, with the news about Sonny Michelle starting in the PUP. Sad, he dropped out of my top 24 running backs. So if you go back and listen to episode one, <laughs> disregard everything I said. However, <laughs> do you have Sony ranked in your top 60 at all? No. Yeah, I mean, um, okay, me either. Sony fell out of the top. I mean, you're not going to see him for six weeks at the very minimum, likely. Uh, and at this point, like I said in that in episode one, I think that Damian Harris does have viability. I actually moved Damian Harris up to 40, right above Jordan Howard. James White is 46, and 49 is Rex Burkhead, which is really how I view this offense. I don't know if there's a clear-cut guy. Uh, it is interesting. I went back and looked at Cam Newton when I was doing my rankings briefly, and it's very difficult to profile if he threw the ball to running backs because he had talent when he had Christian McCaffrey because you go to Jonathan Stewart, who by no means am I going to imply he's a receiving back or any of that, um, but he didn't get the ball at all when it came to the pass game. So I'm interested to see whether or not, one, Cam Newton was giving the ball to his running back because of skill. Two, whether or not James White fantasy success has been as a result of Tom Brady and how he utilized that. Um, there's just so many question marks in this offense going in that I overall just want to take a dart throw at Damian Harris, which is why I have him ranked higher. I think James White is getting a benefit of the doubt from a lot of drafters, which is my concern. Yeah, the thing about James White is that for as unexciting as he is, he like even last year it was like uh what you know, not really a great year, but it's like you'd look at his rankings and and half point PPR and he's like RB17. He just racks up points and he's just a nice nice fallback guy. He's like the James Crowder of running backs only with a little more upside and a little more important because he's a running back and not a receiver. So those guys aren't exactly a dime a dozen. Um at running back and you mentioned kind of the uncertainty you know first of all i do have damian harris 47 so we're not terribly far off there also name name me how many players just if we're talking about the passing game how many guys would you name on that patriots team who you would rather throw the ball to than james white it's Ooh. just julian edelman right it's just edelman and then white's number two Nikhil harry <laughs> uh no i think you could be right in that uh, but it just depends on how they utilize the offense and what they come out looking like. And I just don't know if the passing to running backs was a Bill Belichickian <laughs> offensive strategy or if it was a Tom Brady offensive strategy. Um, and that's why they're ranked that way they are. At this point, I thought Sony Michelle had a clear-cut role you could let like lean into. I just don't know what that offense looks like any longer. I think James White still gets the third down passing back work. But I, unless they start putting him into slot and utilizing Edelman differently, I can't see him getting you know into receiving roles like that. He'd have to be coming out of the backfield more often. Well, I mean, the the guys put up 600 or more receiving yards. It seems like on, on repeat, just about every year. So I'm not sure he has to you know line up in the slot to have that kind of upside as a receiver. I think the main difference, um, just in how we view this offense. You said you have Rex Burkhead 49. I, I don't have him ranked, and I think Burkhead's really going to be more of like, a, oh, God, like this guy had a good week or, you know, like every fifth week he might have. Well, he's just going to be a thorn it, in your side. If yeah, it's, that yeah it's like he he's going to – exactly. He's going to be a thorn in your side more than like any kind of factor, like anybody you even think about 
His third down or, catch or in the playoffs and overtime against the Kansas City Chiefs still haunts <laughs> me to this day. Uh, okay. All right. So we've both said our number twos. Dalton, we're down to our number ones. I will let you go first. You said you had two receivers and three running backs beforehand? Three receivers, two running backs. This so, is the other running back. So this is the other running back. All right. Who do you have here? This is one that I spoke about on the first episode. Um, so you and I were both out on him when every expert was in on him and i had to sit down and spend i spent probably two and a half hours reading about <laughs> this player um and it's miles sanders so miles sanders i had as my rb 15 between austin eckler and todd Gurley. i had him right slotted in in the, the last of the third tier did a little bit of research on him and i moved him up to rb9 which supplant actually it's rb10 when you consider the ceh move as well but he supplanted nick chubb and derrick henry uh, he's above Dalvin Cook because of holdout concerns, Josh Jacobs, and James Conner. Uh, and this was a difficult one for me to, uh, because I don't know if I believe in Miles Sanders as a skilled back, but I believe that without any moves, and Philly seems to be a team that's not going to make any moves, the main backup there is Boston Scott. <coughs> you know, last year in a starting role, Miles Sanders averaged 18.8 games per game. He was a rookie getting bell cow usage. He got six attempts inside the five-yard line in a total of eight games, which is a pretty good look if you want a, a back who's going to be getting a lot of work. Um, there's been concern this offseason that Boston Scott gets a passing down role, but when they both played last season, Sanders ran a route on 64% of the dropbacks and had a 12% target share in the offense. Those are really bell cow number stats. Uh, yeah, that's also, they also had no receivers for good chunks of last year. Yeah, but even then, you still have a guy who, if he's getting eight to nine percent of the target share, um, the, you know, their leading weapon still profiles to be Jalen Rieger, who's probably not going to just get into that offense and attuned immediately. You have a, a system that just seems to be set up for success for him. I know they lost Brandon Books to an Achilles injury. Uh, Pro football focus, or sorry, establish the run even after it. Braden Thorne has them as a top 10 offensive line. They're still going to be a good team. They have a great quarterback who was once an MVP candidate. I think that he's a guy that I had underranked, and so he moved up six spots, but it's probably my most significant move because he's now a guy who I would consider taking in the first round. Okay, so I guess, first of all, I'll, I will repeat a couple of points that I have heard Chris Harris, the fantasy football analyst make on on miles sanders when he says when he watches miles sanders that it kind of looks like it could be tevin coleman and that's not necessarily a compliment and when you think back to some you know some of the primetime games we saw him in last year you can kind of remember why i mean you remember i think it was against the packers where he had the run where he could have gained 25 yards by going in the you know semi-truck size hole his offensive line made for him instead he got like two yards by keeping it on along the outside he's just a guy that hasn't necessarily shown the vision he's big and he's fast a lot like Devin Coleman but there's just a little concern that maybe the vision isn't there obviously he was only a rookie so there's plenty of time um for that to improve but to me, he's one of those guys that I'll I'll be okay missing out on the breakout of, of Miles Sanders if it happens because I do think he carries more risk than you mentioned all those guys around him. Chubb, um, Josh Jacobs were the two that stick out to me because I think those guys are just 
much better players um, to me than Miles Sanders is. And the offensive line, I mean, it's still good, but it goes from probably the very best in the NFL to, you know, like you said, fringe top 10. And for a guy who his vision's not creating his runs necessarily, I think that might matter if he really, if he hasn't improved since last year. So I'm just a little nervous on, on Miles Sanders. I will let other people make that leap and uh, kind of bring this back to the beginning of the podcast. I do have Devin Singletary ranked one spot ahead, ahead of Miles Sanders in case you were wondering. Wait, what do you have Miles Sanders ranked before I tell you how egregious that is? <laughs> I have him 18, so I have him at the exact same spot I had him last time. See, I just find it difficult to rank him above backs who don't have a full three-down roll. I mean, Nick Chubb's very talented. He's not going to be catching as many passes as Sanders, which is where you get it half point. Josh Jacobs won't be catching as many passes. I mean, Miles Sanders caught more balls than Nick Chubb did last season and Josh Jacobs did last season in a role where he didn't start half the season. He's a guy who is going to get every down workhorse work, which is very rare this year in the NFL. I mean, this, and this is a very cringy uh, comparison, but there was a guy that I was out on after his rookie season. His name was Eddie Lacy because he didn't look like a every down back. Yeah, and he actually sucked at football, so I don't know why he you did after his second season. But you can't just be out on a guy when there's no competition for it, especially in an offense that profiles to be at least the top I, 16. In the I, I, I think you absolutely can. See, I think the way that you're looking, I think that's how you get in trouble. I think that's how you end up with bus is that you – you look, you think that there's nobody else who could beat this guy out. It's like, okay, that was the argument that we heard for Alex Collins for, for how long? And now nah, I'm not saying Miles Sanders is Alex Collins. He's a better talent than that. But you get what I mean. Like that, That's how you get in trouble putting too much stock into what we think the situation is going to be. Because we, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just think that I would rather, I'd rather take the guys, especially that high, who I just think are good. And I think it's just going to work itself out because they're good players. Yeah, but the difference is, is that Miles Sanders doesn't profile as an unathletic back. I mean, his spark score was in the 98th percentile. He He's a guy who's athletically talented, and he's behind a good line. He has everything going for him, except that you only have half a season of work to contribute it to him. Well, so I, again, I'm not saying he's Tevin Coleman indefinitely, but Tevin Coleman has all that, and somebody named Raheem Mostert, who no one heard of until last year, is the top running back on that depth chart. Well, I would disagree. Again, I would say people have been talking about Raheem Mostert for years. He's been a preseason darling for DFS since like well, 2017. Not he just never actual, got starter work. Not as an actual fantasy option. He was like the fourth string running back or third string running back at the beginning. Can you of last name year. the third back in Philadelphia? No, and I don't need. They could. What if they bring somebody in? I mean, but they haven't. But what we're, if they do? And even if they don't. We're even four they, weeks away from an NFL start, and they haven't brought a single guy in. Even if they don't, okay. I'm not again. I'm not saying he's Alex Collins, but if you're just like your analysis on this is very similar to your analysis on Alex Collins, who was the backup running back in Baltimore that year. Well, no, this is two part. Alex Collins wasn't talented. Miles Sanders is talented. Secondly, Miles Sanders doesn't have Joe Flacco quarterback. He is Carson Wentz. Third, Miles Sanders doesn't have a lot of competition for rece- receptions, which is where he can excel as a fantasy back. He has Jalen Rieger, who's a rookie, Alshon Jeffrey, who's likely going to start on the PUP, Zach Ertz, and Dallas Goddard. So even if you profile him as the fourth back in that option, he gets a 12% target share, incredibly successful. 
Then you give him 15 carries a game, and all of a sudden he has everything you need to be an every down back just like a guy like Alvin Kamara, and you can get him at the 11 or 12 spot. Yeah, if all of that happens exactly like you said, that sounds great. What receiving options would you put over him in that offense? 36-year-old Deshaun Jackson, rookie Jalen Rieger? I would put him probably, well, I don't know. I, I would put... I would put I would put a receiver at least whoever their top receiver is. I would put a receiver above him, and I would put both tight ends before him. So he's the fourth option. Yeah, but that doesn't that's the just because he's the fourth option doesn't necessarily mean the target share is going to be huge. Again, what I'm not saying that the situation couldn't work out for him. I'm just saying that I don't like diving in head first on a guy like that that high in my rankings, that high in my you know just where I want to draft him and have it be mostly because of what I think is going to happen with that team. Well, it's um, not just what's going to happen. He's talented, too. And he proved he had talent last season when he got the option to start. Yeah, again, I would. he's talented. But what happens if the, if the offensive line isn't the number one offensive line in the NFL and just absolutely beating people up every play? I, I'm just, again, like well, I said. Well, it's a great thing. He's a receiving back, too. He's very successful in the receiving game. Okay. He, we, he's, he's a dual back, which is rare Right now in the NFL, to have a guy who does both receptions and running the ball, especially when you're ranking above guys who don't have a clear path to receptions like Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs. Here, I'll I I will make this bet with you. Then I will bet that Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs will both finish higher than Miles Sanders this year in fantasy. They so if one doesn't, I win. Yep, yep. I'll take that bet. Okay, all righty. Mark it down, Johnny. Johnny. I feel like that's a pretty easy win for me. It is on the record right now. All right. Okay. We spent too long on this guy. Like I said, I just feel like I will be okay if I miss the breakout because he didn't show me enough last year to warrant taking him. Like, I think Nick Chubb is one of the top five running backs in the NFL. Like, I'm not taking that guy over a guy who I think is one of the best backs in, in the, in the NFL. I'll just leave it at that. Um, so my number one, I kind of teased it earlier, is Leonard Fournette. And this is my first downward mobility guy here. Um, the first negative. Uh, also, just um, for point of reference, Dalton and I had a little miscommunication. He thought was only positive. So that is part of why Dalton maybe has only guys moving up this week, if you were wondering. Or maybe you just thought we were just very positive all, all around. Um, I have Fournette. So I had him at 21 before. Now I have him cleared down at 30. Um, it really came down well, not came down to this, but anytime I did a mock draft and I saw Fournette staring me in the eyes, I just didn't want to take him. I Even in a mock draft, I just couldn't bring myself to take that guy. Basically, no matter who was there, no matter my roster construction, I just didn't want the guy on my team. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, we'll just start with a little bit on the field. The guy was the 24th most elusive back last year, which... I don't think that's terribly surprising. That's kind of his profile, but still, you would like it to be a little better. Um, he's basically a big bruiser, but the difference between now and, say, in college when he was thought of as a you know top three pick, ended up going, I think, fifth, is in college he could just physically overwhelm anybody. That just really hasn't been the case in the NFL so far. And as, as we just talked about, I really hate situation analysis when we're talking about positives. But I think if you're talking about red flags, I at least consider it a little bit. I, I consider it more for the negatives than the positives. I'll just put it that way. And if you want to talk about red flags, there's a lot of them when it comes to this guy and his situation. Um, 
I think they're going to pass the ball more this year. Whether or not you want to say that's because they'll be behind, which I don't know if I necessarily buy that, but you just have you know Minshew for the whole season. You have a nice receiver in DJ Shark. You have another nice young receiver from Colorado. And obviously, I think this is Fournette's last year in Jacksonville. I mean, they didn't pick up that fifth-year option. And last year, he was basically a volume play. 341 touches, and that is pretty much how he made his money. Among backs with 100 carries, his PFF run grade was 65.3. That's 41st out of 45 qualifying backs in the NFL. So again, this is mainly right now a big bruiser who can't overpower everybody like he used to be able to. Not elusive, and he was running behind the projected 26th best offensive line, according to PFF, entering the season. And then you have Dalton's guy, Chris Thompson, who I told you I was going to mention earlier. Um. He is probably going to be a lot more involved in the passing game, which surely will eat away at Fournette's involvement because that was mainly just dump down stuff. Not, I mean, basically it was because the offense was broken, not because that's what they wanted to do. Um, last year in weeks one through five, only Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey had more targets than, than Chris Thompson. Obviously, the guy can't ever stay healthy, but just to show you what kind of receiving back he is when he's out there. And then we already talked about um, Raquel Armstead earlier. I don't necessarily think he's the future, but if you're the Jags, you're probably not going to be any good, or at least you have no plans to be any good. We'll see what happens. Um, You might as well find that out this season, right? You might as well see if Armstead's any good. To me, there's just so many red flags. I can't do it with Fournette this year. So I just moved him low enough to where I don't even think I'm going to have to consider it. Well, I moved Leonard Fournette from 20 to 28, right between David Johnson. (laughs) Okay, there we go. So we're on the same page. Yeah, right between David Johnson and David Montgomery, who are two other like volume dart throw plays. The thing is, I've seen people take Fournette at the turn. Incredibly, he had a 1,600 yard total yard season last year. Uh, If I'm giving, just because I don't want to harp on him too much, if I'm giving a few positives, one, he only had three touchdowns last season. Mm -hmm. I would expect him to regress upwards. Secondly, uh, Jay Gruden has done a lot with really bad running backs. I'm going to list off running backs who Jay Gruden has given 250-plus carries to and had 1,000-yard seasons. Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, Alfred Morris, and the aged Adrian Peterson. So if you're drafting him, you can feel good that Jay Gruden doesn't care how bad the guy is. He's going to give him a couple of touches. But Gardner Minshew does have the highest scramble rate in the NFL. That takes away a lot of the upside of running the ball with Fournette. Chris Thompson is definitely going to eat away in the 75 receptions Leonard Fournette got. And most importantly, Leonard Fournette can't stay healthy. Last but not least, they project to be the worst defense in the NFL. I don't anticipate them being able to run the ball that much because of being in major deficits. And finally, I don't think Leonard Fournette is a talented back. I'm in the same boat as Evan. I don't want to draft him. If you're looking for a volume guy in the third round, take Le'Veon Bell because at least he's talented. Yeah, and like for me... Really, it's like I'm not saying that there's no way this guy can't have a good season, right? Like he has he's had good seasons before. You mentioned all the yards last year. Obviously, he only had three touchdowns and that was on crazy high volume. But it's not like I'm saying this guy is going to for sure suck. What I'm saying is there are so many red flags with this guy. I mean, you just kind of play in the odds game at, at that point, right? It's like something is probably going to go wrong out of all of those things that could go wrong. and even if everything goes right, I mean, what's the upside? You know, like, I don't think he has crazy upside. Like he would think for a guy with his pedigree, you know, like with his, with his pedigree as a top five pick, 
if he had shown that upside, then he would have already got his contract. I would definitely say he's being drafted at his upside at round three. Uh, he's a guy who, if he was still around in round five, I could see myself taking him as a, a, a you know a high volume guy who yeah, and he's just not going to fall because of his name. I mean, I think that's why right. we both had him where we had him to begin with. Yep, I know. I agree a hundred percent. I don't think there's a lot of positives you can say about it. And he he got his chance last year to be at every down back, and he wasn't a good receiver. So that's just going to hurt his pedigree even more, especially when Doug Marone's probably playing for his coaching job there this year. He's not going to want to utilize inefficient guys in the past game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is going to do it for us today on episode seven of the half point per podcast. I cannot wait for Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb to outscore Miles Sanders this year. That is going to be absolutely glorious. Um, actually, I don't mind Miles Sanders, but it, it is what it is. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at half point per pod. Again, our show is available anywhere you listen to your podcast, most notably Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we will talk to you guys next week. Only a couple more shows until draft time.